So uh, as we transition to the sermon here, I, I want to begin by telling you that I have a fear that is not quite yet a phobia, but it's somewhere in between. It's bordering on a phobia, and that fear is going to the eye doctor. Uh, I don't like going to the eye doctor. I don't like eye examinations. And if you've had the eye examination, you're maybe going to identify with this. You put your your head into the machine and you look forward and the doctor begins to drop uh, lenses in front of you and then asks you the question, is it clearer in this one or is it clearer in this one? And in the beginning, it's really easy. It's clearer in this one. But then as the examination progresses, it becomes difficult. Is it clearer in one or is it clearer in two? And I'm thinking, I don't know. I don't know, can I ask him to try again? And so I do, can you put them in, in front of my, is it clearer in this one or is it clearer in this? I still don't know. And uh, eventually I feel like the eye doctor's getting impatient. So I have to pick one and then as the, the test continues, I'm having this internal dialogue and it's like, I messed up. I picked the wrong one and now I'm gonna spend a lot of money on a prescription and it's gonna be wrong. And for the next three years, I'm gonna have glasses that have the wrong prescription. You can tell I don't wear my glasses very often. Am I alone? Does anyone else have this anxiety? Oh, it's so good to not be alone in this. This morning, we're continuing our series through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we are coming to a, a transition in the Scripture. We're coming to this transition where Jesus has been ministering largely in the region of Galilee, and he sets his eyes on Jerusalem and beginning today is a journey towards Jerusalem and ultimately a journey towards the cross. And the very first encounter that Jesus has, uh, that Jesus had on that journey was with a blind man. And he gave him kind of a, a vision test. So that's where we're going to pick up the, the story today. Join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. Father, as we have already prayed today, we pray again that you would open our eyes to your truth, that we might see clearly, penetrate our hearts and our minds through the power of your spirit. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're following along, we're in Mark chapter 8, and we're uh, jumping in at verse 22, and as I just said, this is now beginning the journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. Verse 22, oh, nope, that's not right. Oh, I'm in Luke. It's helpful if you're in Mark. It's like, I didn't think I was going to be preaching about the 5,000. There it is. They came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him. Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, 
His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. So at least eye examinations today don't involve the doctor spitting into your eyes. We were just talking about that earlier before the service, and it dawned on me that this guy was blind. Like, he didn't know that Jesus had just spit in his eyes. Like, maybe it's raining. So don't fixate on that part of the story. This is not about Jesus spitting in this man's eyes. The more significant question for us to consider this morning is why didn't the miracle fully take the first time? Why wasn't the man's eyes healed completely the first time? This is the only miracle that I'm aware of in the scripture where it happens in stages. Like it happens gradually. Think about some of the other miracles that Jesus performed and Imagine what it would have been like if they followed the same pattern, that they, they happened gradually. How about turning water into wine? Like Jesus did what he did, prayed that the, the water would turn into wine, and those first couple vats were like watered-down grape juice. And so he prayed again, and then he got the good stuff. Or imagine the, the paralytic who was lowered through the roof, and, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Then he said, get up, take your mat and walk. And, and imagine the man standing up and kind of limping out of the house. And then Jesus having to do another miracle to, to get rid of the limp. Or imagine the feeding of the 5,000 with those few uh, fish and those few loaves of bread. Imagine Jesus blessing it and they start dispersing it and they find out there's only enough for 2,500 people. And so he's got to do it again, a second time, to feed the, the next 2,500 people. It's kind of absurd, isn't it, for us to think of Jesus performing a, a miracle and only getting it half right? Like, that doesn't fit who we understand Jesus to be. Jesus doesn't misfire. He doesn't miscalculate. When Jesus says, let it be so, it is so, and it is so every time because Jesus is God. He is the Son of God. God doesn't miscalculate. God doesn't make mistakes. There is no learning curve that confronts God. Like He doesn't have to learn as he goes. Now, if that's all true, and I believe it is, then how are we to understand what's going on with this blind man? Jesus spits in his eyes, reaches out and touches him, and then asks, can you see anything? Again, I believe it's the only miracle where, where Jesus actually inquires of the person, did it work? Can, can you see anything? Yes, the man says, I see people, but they look like trees. They look like trees walking around. This man has gone from blind to severely vision impaired. And so Jesus puts his hands on the man's eyes a second time. And this time his eyes are opened and he sees everything clearly. So again, if this two-stage miracle, this gradual recovery of sight is not a miraculous misfire, then how do we explain it? Well, here's what I think is going on. 
Jesus obviously has some greater purpose by some ulterior motive by healing this man in, in stages. What was that purpose? I think what Jesus is doing is he's creating a parable. He's creating an illustration. And when we hear parable, we think of a made-up story, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan or the parable of the, the prodigal son. This is a, a parable, but it's a, a real-life parable. It's an illustration that has played out in real time, but Jesus is intending to use this as an illustration to communicate something else, something outside of this immediate story. Why did this happen gradually? Remember that the, the section of scripture we're in is the section of journey. We're on a journey. Jesus is on a journey. His disciples are on a journey. They're on a journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. They're on a journey from, for Jesus from life to death and then back to life. For the disciples, they are on a journey of understanding, a journey of discovery, a journey of having their own vision corrected. I believe what's going on in this miracle is is that Jesus is intending for the disciples to see themselves, and he's intending for us to see ourselves in this man. He is us, and we are him. So let's just keep reading Mark 8, verse 27. Right after this, Jesus and his disciples, they go to Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asks them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say one of the prophets. So the disciples just gave him an answer of what people are saying about who Jesus is, and those answers revealed a whole lot of people who are severely vision impaired. Maybe not completely blind, but very vision impaired. Was Jesus John the Baptist come back? No, absolutely not. But he did do some things that John the Baptist did. He did call people to repentance, like John the Baptist. Was Jesus Elijah or one of the other prophets? No, absolutely not. But he did do some things like the prophets. He proclaimed the word of the Lord. He had been sent by God. And so these, these answers that people were giving about who is Jesus, they had a little bit of truth in them, just a little bit of sight, but severely vision impaired. When it comes to Jesus today, there are a lot of vision impaired people who have all kinds of answers to the question, who is Jesus? He is a, he was a good man. Absolutely he was. That's not all he was. Just to say he was a good man is just a little kernel of truth. He was upright. He was moral. He was uh, someone that we should emulate our life after. He was our example. Well, yes, that, that's also true. He is an example for us to try and follow, but that's certainly not all he is. That's a, a vision-impaired understanding and so Jesus now asked the disciples, what about you? This is what everyone else says. What about you? Who, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are 
the Messiah. Now there's an answer that seems spot on. Seems like Peter sees, sees absolutely clear, clear. You are the Messiah. In, in Greek, it's you are the Christ. You are the anointed one, the one that, that God has sent to, to save us. You're the son of God. That answer is, is spot on. Did Peter see clearly? I mean, if we just listen to his words, it seems like he did. He said the right words, you are the Messiah. I think Jesus could have responded with this quote from Princess Bride. Messiah, you keep saying that word, but I do not think it means what you think it means. I wonder how many other words like that God could say to us. You keep using those words, but I don't think it means what you think it means. You see, Peter and the other disciples assumed that this journey to Jerusalem that they were on, that it was going to end by Jesus, their Messiah, delivering them from Rome and establishing his earthly kingdom. You are the Messiah, yes, but your vision is impaired because you misunderstand what that means. They would have never believed that, that this mission as the Messiah was actually on its way to a cross. Like that, that is absurd to them. The story of the gradual healing of the, the blind man in Bethsaida represented the disciples and the journey of vision that they were on. It wasn't going to be until Jesus died and rose again that their vision actually started to, to clear. And even after he rose again, they're still seeing kind of blurred. Because in Acts, right before Jesus ascends, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, you know what the disciples ask him? Is now the time? Like, is now the time that you're going to establish your, your kingdom here on earth? They're still thinking in this old mental model. They haven't got it yet. In fact, it's not until Pentecost, it's not until the Holy Spirit comes and fills them that the lights turn on. And then they are just this force to be reckoned with, taking the gospel to the world. So the man in Bethsaida is the disciples, but I said he's also us. You and I are on a journey. The spiritual life is a a life of, of journey, a, a journey of learning to see clearer and clearer. There is no learning curve for God, but there's a steep learning curve for all of us. My understanding uh, of the scriptures is that there are some things in our life as believers that have happened, and they happened in an instant, just like that. And there are some things that will happen, and they will happen in an instant. And in between those two things is a journey. So I want to just talk a little bit about each of those. The, the thing that has happened, if you are in Christ, you have been saved. The, the word that the scripture uses for that is justified. In Christ, you have been justified. Listen to, to this passage from John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. 
He's crossed over from death to life. That bridge from death to life is not a long bridge. It's an incredible chasm. But it's not a bridge that we get stuck halfway over. Like once you profess faith in Jesus Christ, you go from being condemned by virtue of your sin to being not condemned by virtue of his righteousness credited to your account, and it happens in an instant. You cross over that bridge from death to life, and it happens in an instant. Now, maybe to get to that point of decision is a long journey. But once you believe and you place your hope and trust in Christ, the, the transformation is immediate. You go from being unsaved to saved. Dead in your sins, uh, alive through the blood of Christ. We have been justified, that means made right, through Jesus' blood. And it happens instantly. And here's the really good news about that. Once you have been justified by God, you can never become unjustified. Because your being justified is not because of you. Your justification is because of a declaration that God makes. And God doesn't go back on his word. If he declares you righteous on account of his blood... He's not going to someday say, you're no longer righteous. My blood is no longer sufficient. The blood that was sufficient to save you is sufficient to keep you. Friends, that's good news. We don't need to, to live in fear. We have been justified. That's the, the bookend on the front end of the, the Christian life. We also have a bookend on the, the back end of Christian life. Maybe not a bookend, a doorway, we'll say. And that's another thing that happens in an instant, and the scripture calls it glorification. Glorification. Listen to how Paul describes it in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Again, praise God. We have this incredible promise of a, a resurrection where we're going to no longer have to contend with sin. We're no longer going to wrestle and, and be like Paul in Romans 7. Why am I doing the things I don't want to do and not doing the things I want to do? Oh, wretched man that I am, that's going to be gone. We're going to live in perfect communion and harmony with God and perfect communion and harmony with one another. Friends, this is good news. It all happens in an instant. Justification, glorification, the two ends of the, the Christian life. And they happen instantaneously in between them, in between having been justified and our future of being glorified is a journey. And that's the journey that every single one of us is on, and the scripture calls it sanctification. We are on this journey of growing, of becoming more and more spiritually mature, of having our vision gradually restored, and it doesn't happen in an instant. I wish sometimes it did. 
because sometimes I so resonate with Paul. Oh, wretched man that I am. I'm embarrassed that I'm not further along than I am. Why do I keep tripping up? It's because I'm on a journey and my vision is just gradually being restored. I'm on a journey, you're on a journey. What does that mean for us? I have two main takeaways. The first thing I think it means is that we need to learn to be patient. Patient and compassionate with ourselves and with others. Because not only are we on a journey, everyone else is on a journey. And, and just like we experienced yesterday at the bike rodeo, sometimes you fall over. You know, sometimes you, you get little cuts and, and things don't go so well, but that's part of the, the learning curve. We're on this journey, so we need to learn to, to be patient. There's ups, there's downs, there's twists, there's turns. As a parent, think of, if you have to go back a ways, think about uh, being a parent. For those of you who have been blessed to be parents, did you expect your infant to walk? And did you scold them if they couldn't? No, an infant doesn't walk. Then they become toddlers and they begin to walk. Did you expect them to walk perfectly and never fall down? And scold them if they fall down? I hope not. Gave away some bikes yesterday that had training wheels on them. Those training wheels are there for a purpose. We don't scold a child because they need a bike with training wheels. It's part of the journey. Pretty soon they get to the bike without the training wheels. And praise God for that. And they have a few accidents along the way. It's part of the journey. There's a learning curve that, that confronts all of us. Sometimes we stumble, sometimes others, stum others stumble. So we need to learn to be patient with ourselves, compassionate towards ourselves, patient with others, compassionate towards others. It's a hard lesson to learn. If you're like me, you've got a, some internal dialogue. It's that, that voice inside your head. I'd call it a tape, but like tapes are so yesterday. Just that internal voice. And when you stumble and when you fall, the voice starts to speak to you. This is what my voice says. You are such an idiot. Stupid, stupid, stupid. I can't believe you just said that. You just did that. You didn't say that. You didn't do that. And it starts to just assault me. Part of my journey has been learning to train myself to, to listen to a different voice to silence that voice of condemnation and listen to a different voice, I've started to try and train myself to say, Scott, welcome to the human race. Welcome to the human race. That's not an excuse. Don't hear that as I'm just like giving myself a free pass. Welcome to the human race where we are all on a learning curve. And then I try and follow that with scripture, which is always a good idea. Romans 8.1 is my go-to. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because I have been justified by the blood of Christ, and that's not a wishy-washy thing. There's no condemnation. So I want to invite you to, to borrow my tape, my voice, if you need something, or come up with your own. Come up with something that's going to be a little more empowering, that's going to help you in that journey. 
and also learn to play it for somebody else. Like they're also part of the human race and, and learning. We're all, we're all learning. So that, that's the first takeaway. Let's be patient with ourselves, with others. Let's learn to be compassionate. But then there's a second takeaway, and, and that is persistence. We need to be persistent. We need to be maybe patiently persistent. But we need to keep at it. A journey uh, implies movement. There's got to be movement. We are called to grow in our faith in Christ. We shouldn't just remain spiritual infants. It would be silly to see a, a, a high school student riding one of those little bikes with training wheels. Now, if they genuinely don't know how to ride a bike, great. But there's a time for the training wheels to come off. Paul described it this way in his letter to the Corinthians. He said, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Why? Because I was a child. But then when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. A grown-up who is stuck in seventh grade is a pitiful sight. It's an embarrassing sight. There is a time for us to, to grow up and put childishness behind us. So we need to be persistent. We need to keep at it. And friends, it's not easy. Because the temptation to stall out, to quit, to, to take an exit ramp is always right in front of us. Learning implies growing, implies change, and change is never easy. So what are some of the things that we can do to stay persistent? Well, the scripture gives us a few ideas. It says, don't give up the habit of meeting together. Like, we need the, one another. Like, uh, on my own, I'm really inclined to quit, just to, to plateau and to, to settle but when I'm with a, other, a group of people who are wanting to pursue Christ and we can do it together, that encourages me to keep going. Scripture says, don't let the word of God depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you might be careful to do everything written in it. Then you're going to be prosperous and successful. And I'm going to go ahead and add to that. Then you're going to grow. Like we need to be filling our, our minds with God's truth to replace some of those lies that, that play in our head over and over. And then the, the verse that, that Nate just had up in front of our graduates, what a great verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. One of the, the greatest ways to grow is in that, that, I'll call it the danger zone. It's when the Holy Spirit is calling us to do something and we're afraid. We've got to make that decision. Am I going to step into this or am I going to step away from it? Stepping into it is where the growth happens. Trusting in the Lord with all of our heart. Friends, we're on a journey and uh, one day we're going to arrive at our destination. And it's going to be more amazing than any of us can imagine. But what's also amazing is the journey. The journey is meant to be amazing. We don't just need to wait to heaven to bring glory to God. We get to bring glory to him right now through the journey. Join me as we pray. Father, uh, we're so grateful that you are patient and compassionate towards us. Slow to anger, abounding in love. Lord, replace, replace the, the lies uh, in our head that we 
are easy to believe, replace them with your truth. And Lord, help us keep at it. Help us rely and, and push and encourage one another towards you that we might grow into all that you intend for us. We pray this through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.